totally football show. After a week watching men having sets together and trying to successfully get a leg over, what a relief to leave the darts and get back to quaint old football, just in time to witness Liverpool Man City, a match both double tops and madhouse, French refereeing madness, and Arsenal fans wanting to throw things at their board. We'll round it all up in our big checkout of all the weekend stories. It's the Totally Football Show. Totally Football Show. You all know what happened. We've got a man who was there to see it, Sasha Gurionov. Hello. Hello, James. Hi, Sasha. Also here today, Benji Lanyado out of Stop Hammer Time Very podcast. Good. <laughs> Hello, how you doing? That's got to be the greatest name to say of any podcast title. It's very fun. It's very fun. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Ian Irving's here. Morning, James. Hi, Ian. With a lot to tell us about. Of course, always. Always. <laughs> and also to discuss that French referee and more, it's Hotness's Julien Laurent. Bonjour. Bonjour to you, French ref expert Julien. Yes. Right. I almost want to start with that. What's his name? Tony Chaperon? Chaperon, yeah. Chaperon. The best thing you would ever see all season. Go on then, let's just start with that. Yeah. So, all right, so it's Sunday night, the big game. Is it PSG Nantes or non-PSG? Non-PSG. And it's what, nil-nil at this point? It's one nil PSG since the 12th minute Di Maria's goal. It's, okay. been, it's been a boring game. Nantes have had a, a, an equaliser unfairly yeah. disallowed by yeah. Monsieur Chaperon. By Monsieur Chaperon and his linesman. And then they're bursting downfield. And then they're trying to push for an equaliser, obviously. So PSG play on the counter and they're countering. So a lot of non-players are going back towards their goal basically and the referee is running towards the non-goal as well because PSG and Mbappe are counter-attacking and Diego Carlos the non-Brazilian defender there's a get-together between him and the ref he doesn't do it on purpose it's an accident but he trips the ref who falls on the floor and at that point Tony Chaperon thinks that it's a good idea to sort of get up a little bit and try to kick the Diego so Carlos the referee, he swings a leg at the he swings player. a leg it's either yeah. a tackle or a kick it looks more like a kick no it's a kick it's a kick he doesn't he misses him yeah, no, that's I the thing he he well he misses him I think in the, the strength that the kick yeah. it could have been much harder if you see what I mean he misses what he wanted to do which was the proper kick he might touch him a little bit he lashed bit. out at him proper yeah to what Diego Carlos like his face was like what, what's just happened what have you done <laughs> but then Diego Carlos must say something because then the referee by then had, had moved on but goes back towards Diego Carlos gives him a second yellow probably for dissent or something he must have said and sends him off so he tried to kick the hell out of him and then sends him off with a second yellow <laughs> at the 91st minute and it was just magnificent and my two boys are only allowed to watch some of the game so they, they were in bed and uh and when it happened, I was like, man, they would love that. So I went back up to see if they were asleep. They were not asleep. They were awake. Right. So I showed them the, the little video that I've put on Twitter about right. it. And as we, they were watching it again and again, because they found it so funny, but you could see the number of retweets going up and up and up and the light going up and up and up. And by the time I went back downstairs and the game had finished, it'd been everywhere viral, not just my right. tweet, but all the tweets about this crazy thing that people were like just laughing at. French football's finally made it, Julien. If you think that we had this year Patrice Evra high-kicking yeah. one of his own fans yeah. in the face, yeah. and then a few weeks later a referee kicking a player oh, in the game. to kind of knock it's into. crazy. So w has the referee tried to justify in any way what, 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 what he did? What's the reaction been in France? Is that referee ever going to officiate again? It can't, I mean, I can't see it. If a player done that to a referee, you would expect him to be banned Pretty much forever. Yeah. So if a referee does it to a player, you would accept, expect him to be 
well, I don't think we will see him again refereeing in France at any point. He hasn't said anything after the game yesterday. Obviously, he's been everywhere in France. Uh, people are laughing and just, just incredible. Tony yeah. Chaperon. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds okay. like a maverick. Also this weekend, Liverpool beat Man City. Beat Man City. The first time City have tasted defeat in the league since... Mm. April. I think it's the first time they've lost in domestically since the semi-final. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think it's the first time they conceded four since the same weekend last year when they lost four 0 at Everton. Right. And um, they were there was a ten minute spell in the second half where stars just aligned for Liverpool, and it was it was the whole synthesis that Shankly I think used to talk about. You know, players, coach, fans, and it all just broke Man City, and you could see these brilliant brilliant professionals just collapsing under all this pressure. Um, obviously, the two centre backs failed uh, first against Firmino, then against Salah, who then passed to Mane, who finished, and then the goalkeeper failed as well. And I think it's very indicative um, the mistake that Edison made that he wasn't in the right frame of mind. He didn't have mm. to do that clearance to Salah. Uh, there was no one anywhere near him. It was actually a mishit pass from Salah that he played the one-two with and ended up in the back of the net. And Sasha, what was it like? I mean, you're talking about the synthesis and, and the way that the crowd and mm. everything just seemed to come together. What was it like to be part of that? Uh, when at Anfield, when the main stand is standing, that's significant because the main stand usually sits there. People, you know, just talk about things and sometimes they clap. But it's um, it was uh, you know when they when they talk about roof being lifted, uh, it's it was one of those moments. Uh, but it wasn't just a moment; it was ten minutes of it, and you could just feel the crowd basically smelled blood and go for these, go for these, finish them off. And it's exactly what happened. It's definitely the best ten minutes in the club. Um, and it was, uh, it was just remarkable to be part of this. I mean, I was fortunate enough to be at Anfield for the 4-3 against Newcastle, the second 4-3 against Newcastle, the 4-3 win against uh, Dortmund as well. Right. Slightly different occasions. But on this time, Liverpool beat a remarkable team. Uh, and, uh, I mean, City are a remarkable team. I mean, Kevin De Bruyne, I think, was probably the best player on the pitch yesterday. And he was definitely up against it. But the way City kept going, even after going 4-1 down, they were knackered. In the last 10 minutes, it was two very tired teams, but they kept plugging away, kept plugging away. And when that ball from De Bruyne went into Aguero, the whole stadium, I think the collective bottoms just fell out at that point. Uh, I know you, you, you just said there was men holding hands going, uh. And of course, there is, like, no one knew the, fl- the flag went up. Right. All everyone could see was the ripple of the net, and then everyone realized it's the outside of the net. And um, yeah, it was, and I think what is good to see as well. The both sides talked so well about each other, about the game. It's um, about the contribution to the game. Uh, Pep was very complimentary about Liverpool. Klopp was very complimentary about City, and it's it's sort of it's a sort of victory for football, I think, because there's two teams playing to their strengths mm. and doing it beautifully. It was a reasonably good-natured game as well, and it was just just a very professional performance from two artistic sides and it's just two great dudes making football great again I think in Klopp and Pep and I think it's wonderful um, and when the game like that finishes you just stand there you can't really even find words for it plus on top of the fact it was really really cold so I couldn't really move my mouth but um, it was um, yeah it was it was, it was wonderful um, and um, I think part of what contributed to this wonderful game of football was I think both game, both teams could lose that game because City um, are so far ahead and Liverpool build themselves a little cushion, I think, against, um, you know, in the top four. Mm. And also, you know, if you lose to City, you know, who's going to say anything? Sure. Um, but on top of this, there was also, I think, Klopp wanted revenge for the 5-0. I mm. think it's needled him uh, that Liverpool got battered um, at City, the sending off, everything. And it's interesting to see this game as well. They definitely targeted Otamendi. 
uh, and puts him under pressure. The way Liverpool went for him, there was there was an incident early on. What I found really odd was before the game, everyone was talking about Otamendi's passing stats. Uh-huh. Like that was a thing. And Otamendi struggled against Liverpool at, at City uh, when there was 5-0. And um, so I thought it would make sense to attack him and that's what Liverpool did. Okay, he's not struggled much this season though, Otamendi. I mean, that, that, that was very much the exception yesterday yeah, compared to the rule of this season and the reason they were talking about... He did about, also almost score as well. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. well, he should have scored well. actually in a way. Um, the reason people are talking about the passing stats is because he's been an absolute Rolls-Royce of a centre-half and everyone's been completely shocked by that because <laughs> they've seen what Otamendi's done in English football before that point. The defending yesterday was shocking, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, the attacking play and all this sort of stuff but both teams showed why there is work still to be done. Even the glorious Manchester City, as amazing as they've been this year, individual errors really did cost them in that match. They're not the type of mistakes that they've made much this season. When they have made them, they're not the type of mistakes that have tended to be punished. That happened yesterday. Um, but in terms of Liverpool as well, you can see why they've spent so much money on, on Virgil van Dijk and mm. their inability to see out that game at 4-1 up was startling. However, before anyone gets in, <laughs> it also shows the spirit of this Manchester City side, it shows how much belief they've got that even at 4-1 down, even after that 10-minute spell that we've just uh, hailed as well, they still have found something to come back. And the way their season's gone, I'm surprised that Aguero's effort right at the end didn't end up in the (laughs) bottom corner because that's just the way it's gone for City this year. John Coughlin has an interesting question. How how different would this league be if Manny had not been sent off in that first Liverpool-Man City game? I don't think it would have been very different, to be honest. Um, No, I think uh, this City side has so much belief in what they're doing. Um, It would have made... okay, maybe they might have dropped a couple more points. And I think Liverpool at the time were also a little bit inconsistent. So I don't think it would have made that much difference in the longer term. It's the first time that I've understood how Oxlade-Chamberlain can fit into the Liverpool team as well. And it, and it made me think that, OK, if he's, if he's a central midfielder, could he do, do a job there for England this summer when we, when we win the World Cup with uh, Jack Wilshere alongside him, a resurgent Jack Wilshere? Is, is that his position? He properly came back into the side actually on the wing at West Ham when Liverpool won 4-1 and he looked quite decent. So he has, I mean, his preference has been to play central. But I think this is the first time really he had a proper central role in this side. And if anything, um, you know, obviously, you know, you can't forget about Coutinho. But the way he drove into that space for the first goal, I'm not sure Coutinho would have done it. I, I, I don't know. It's just because he uh, maybe he's seen as being a little bit more direct. Mm. Um, and the way he took that first goal was, was brilliant. Also good from Firmino. Joe Brooks says, can we analyse him a little bit more? Often overlooked. Liverpool wouldn't be half as good without him. Reminds me of Benzema and his all-round team play, except he scores quite a lot of goals. 17 this season, his highest-scoring season. Uh, but I think that first goal yesterday sort of summed up what he can do. First, he outmuscles the England centre-half, mm. and then that finish. So, so the, the combination of sort of power and elegance that he has. Um, it's, um, and he has been improving uh, every single season for the last two, three years. Um, so now I think maybe people should be fearing in case uh, Coutinho gets him a house and, you know, <laughs> calls him over. <laughs> well, he did, he did come out and say, you know, yeah, that he's... it's not the same without Coutinho, which will be a worry, I'm sure, for Liverpool's fans. Um, in terms of Firmino, he, he's just a very bright footballer, isn't he? You know, like his teeth, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think as well the game plan that, that, that Liverpool had against City, it was perfect for Firmino. That's what he's all about, isn't he? That that was almost like the perfect match for him. And despite the fact it's against Manchester City, actually his record against City on a personal level now for Liverpool is very good as well. He always seems to contribute in those sort of matches. But that game plan just brought out all his best attributes, really. Uh, Mo Salah's goal. Loved that. Which was your favourite goal? 
Ian? Oh, Firmino. It'd yeah. have to be Firmino, wouldn't yeah. it? I mean, oh, it man. can't be. Danilo can kick the ball out. I'm not happy with Danilo at all. Danilo okay. is ball watching. Danilo stops his run, waits, and the ball bounces off the post and goes in. Hmm. I'm convinced Danilo could at least get a touch. He might still go in, hmm. can get a touch. That's why I would go for money personally. One thing, hmm. it was very windy. It was actually significantly windy. That's okay. why. So, so that you, stopped Danilo. So that Dan, no, Danilo can't judge Stop. the flight of the ball, I think. So, because he's looking how it's coming over, because you have picked out really Danilo not weird. clearing it as opposed to the bit where Firmino makes a lovely run, outmuscles the defender, the Danilo question though, because City are a bunch of points clear, whatever happens at Old Trafford tonight. But uh, who has got a left back, of course? Liverpool, Andrew Robertson, Andrew Lang saying, How good was. Andrew Robertson, yes, they kept Sterling in his pocket. Wasn't threatened by the best right-back in the league either. Is he the best pound-for-pound signing in the Premier League, Sasha? He's been consistently good ever since he's come into the side. And I think yesterday he did that thing that endears you to the crowd. He basically, from left-back, he pressed the ball all the way to Edison, Mm. all the way to Otamendi before fouling him. So he basically, within about 15 seconds, he went through the whole pitch, pressed half the City team, before committing a foul and the crowd just went it's the best thing we've ever seen basically <laughs> better than the goals I heard that he actually pressed the team bus all the way back to Warrington <laughs> <laughs> he was just no. chasing after the city coach all the way down the M62 <laughs> this was 75th minute against yeah, the yeah. best Incredible. side in the country amazing you know Atem Benafa played for Hull City with, with Robertson uh-huh. and not, not that either Atem played well or that Hull did well when he was there but I remember I remember me asking him what's, what's, what's the team about and he said, in fairness, Jules, they're, they're not very good. Not neither. I mean, he's with the team with Alex Bruce in it, so you can understand, you know, that kind of thing. So he was, they're, they're not very good, he said. But there's one, there's one who can potentially be super, super good, and that's Robertson. Oh, yeah. Mm. Interesting. OK. He's got an incredible story as well, mm. Andrew Robertson. And we interviewed him earlier on in the season, and he, he was talking about his time. Um, he'd been released from Celtic for being too small. I, I think that's right in saying, or at least physically uh, too weak. Uh, and he went to play sort of part-time football in Scotland. And his parents said to him that um, if you don't make it this year, we'll support you this year. Um, but if you don't make it this year, you're going to have to go out and get a real job. And then I think, what are we now? Three, four years later, he's playing for Liverpool and performing like that mm. in a game like that at Anfield. So it's Amazing. a nice story. Yeah. It's lovely. Yeah. As pod friend Simon Hughes tweeted yesterday, he has plenty of what Shankly would look for and call natural enthusiasm. How long are Loris Karius's parents giving him? <laughs> <laughs> There's no way Liverpool could win the Champions League or the league with Karius in goal. Yesterday, uh, Karius's problem again, saving percentage is quite low. But uh, the first goal that Sane scored, I watched it over and over and over and over and over again. Um, and again, I think it's slightly wind assisted. Uh, Sane lashes it with the ridiculous power. But as David Priest pointed out, um, he does this weird thing with his hands. Where because I couldn't figure out how did he get his hand around that space mm. and he adjusts himself I think as he sees Sane lining up a shot obviously thinking it's not going to be low down and maybe it's down to coaching because Mignoli has the same thing with low hands as opposed mm. to neutral hands so perhaps with a better coach maybe again I mean Achterbeck has been criticised so many times over the years about the level of goalkeeping at Liverpool maybe they need to change a coach or, or if, if not goalie any, any suggestions that they're going to come in for somebody? 
Not right now, I don't think. But it's oh, certainly... there had been that Allison story. Yeah. yeah, whether he'd come in and be first choice straight away, I'm not sure. But it's certainly a blind spot, it seems, at the moment for Jurgen Klopp. Rammer, I believe, fairly intent on keeping him. He would also be cup tied as well. Yeah, I bow to your superior knowledge on that. No, but no, but certainly, but certainly, with with the goalkeepers at Liverpool, you know, it's been an ongoing issue now for quite some time. How it's not been addressed already is probably quite surprising. Mm. Um, certainly with Simon Mignolet, because I mean, Carries hasn't been there as long. Uh, He's not played as much either, but when he has played, obviously, there's been a reason why he's been taken out of the team. Klopp seems to use him in matches where he's playing against possession sides as well. He seems to think that his tactics, the way the way he approaches um, goalkeeping and playing out from the back and all those different things is is, is better with Karius in there than, than Mignolet in there. But the fact that he won't sort of settle on either, to me, suggests... Because it's an ongoing question. Who's your number one? Who's this? Who's that? You know, mm. Who's playing this week? Who's playing in that competition? And I, I don't see that being a, a healthy situation for a club when there's that much indecision over who is the number one constantly week in, week out like this. Mm. Well, you know what we haven't discussed in all of this? The fact that Liverpool sold off a player that a lot of people felt was the most talented in their squad, barely missed him against the best team in the land. What a contrast with another team that were without their top South American star, and went to the Vitality Stadium this weekend. We'll be talking about Arsenal after this. Listeners, our partnership with Paddy Power helps to keep this podcast free. And speaking of free, when you join Paddy's Rewards Club, every time you place five bets of £10 or more on any sport in a single week, Paddy will give you a free £10 bet the following week. Sign up now at paddypower.com. T's and C's apply. Max £10 bonus per person per week. Specific odds required. Exclude shops and cashed out bets. 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Right, so Bournemouth got their first win against a side from the Big Six in the Premier League since December 2016. And they are now 13th, four points clear of the relegation zone. Ibe, they've got that Ibe. Uh, with two goals, 283 seconds apart, if you like that kind of stat. But Arsenal, Julien. Yeah. It's the, 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 the two goals, the four minutes, is the, the equivalent to the Liverpool City nine minutes of the three goals where Arsenal just looked a bit lost on the pitch. Before that, I don't think they were 1-0 up. They were controlling the game not very well, but they were not under much pressure either. And then suddenly, Czech makes a mistake like Otamendi made a mistake. And then after that, suddenly you're like, oh, we're under pressure. The crowd and the vitality is obviously not unfit, but the crowd goes in and suddenly Mm. you're like, What's going on? Let's keep the ball. You can't keep the ball. And they score another one where there's far too much freedom for both uh, Wilson and, and Ibe. And, and you end up losing a game. I'm not even sure how they lost it. Probably because they didn't play well towards the end. Didn't know how to manage that game. But they had also key players out again. And it's, it's Arsenal B team. And that, this Arsenal B team is a very, 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 very average team. You saw this, Benji. How did... Bournemouth have to be particularly good to beat Arsenal? No. Um, the, the striking thing about watching this game was that um, player for player, I would say that Leicester City are a better team than that Arsenal team. I mean, this is the reality of where Arsenal are now. And you know, there's something quite tragic about watching Arsenal at the moment in, in that, you know, we're, we're now deep into the, the biannual melodrama that is a, an Arsenal transfer window. 
Um, and the central theme of this one is them losing their two best players. And actually, if you, if you take a step back, there's a risk here that, that Arsene Wenger, if he does leave over the next few seasons, will be leaving them in footballing terms more or less where he found them. You know, when he joined in 96, the season before, they'd finished outside of the top four, no world-class players. Mm. That's kind of where they are now. And, and I, um, I thought it was quite striking during when Virgil van Dijk decided to go to Liverpool. Um, it was very clear that Klopp was a massive part of his motivation. He wanted to work with Klopp. Can you imagine anyone saying that about Wenger right now? I want to work with Wenger. You just you, you can't see anyone have it, having that same level of, of desire to move there. Like I said, dude, look, look, look where he is now. Fair enough. <laughs> Wenger, and I think just, Wenger convinced, like I said, to join Arsenal right. over dinner in Paris in June. And, and he made, like I said, one really to play for this guy, to be fair. Yeah, no shots on target in this game from from Lacazette, but they're lining up another big signing from France to to see if they, that one does any better. Malcolm mm. from Bordeaux. Yeah, he's a different right? player. I feel for Lacazette, and I'm not, I promise you, I'm not saying because uh, because he's French, he's not my friend. I, I wouldn't defend him. He's not my friend, like I would defend others. But you know what? His movement yesterday was really good. Mm-hmm. The way he linked up the play was really good. He made a lot of very good things. They never passed him the ball. Even the goal from Bellerin. There's no way Bellerin should, should shoot the way he is. He doesn't know how to do it. That's why he almost missed. Lacazette is on his own. It's easy to square the ball. Lacazette would have a tap in it. And there were so many occasions in that game yesterday where Lacazette made great movement. The ball never arrived. It will be Welbeck, Bellerin, Maitland-Niles. And, and I feel for him because... He got to a team, he was so happy and so enthusiastic and so full of motivation to discover the league, the team, etc., blah, blah, blah. And he's turned into, I don't know, not a nightmare because it's not that bad, but, but very difficult things where it shouldn't have been that difficult. Mm. But Absolutely. you're saying they're not passing to him, is that they don't understand what he is or they don't like him? No, I think, no, I, I wouldn't believe that they wouldn't pass him on purpose but either they don't they can't read what he does or he doesn't shout loud enough or something or they make other I think this is a team that struggles with decision making anyway especially without Ozil and Alexis even when Alexis is on the pitch every time someone has the ball he has to pass to Alexis which I think is a generally big problem for a team like Arsenal but I think the decision making has been poor all season and I think with Lacazette is is very similar. Interesting point about decision making. I spoke to Kyle Walker to preview uh, the Liverpool game last week, and he actually said that the game against Watford recently, Manchester City was sent out with no instruction right. from the manager. He said it was just left to the players to decide what they were doing, even to the level, the extent of marking on corners, attacking corners, defending corners, set pieces. It was all left to the players to decide and work it out as they went along in the game. And that's very much part of his coaching, Pep Guardiola. It does seem that, that, that that's quite a big part of Arsene Wenger. It does seem like a team that's left to make up their own minds out. The, the different thing is that this is not what something Arsene Wenger decides to do this week, for example. You know, he never just never does it. There's not much... Instruction. There, there's coaching. It's unfair when people said, "Oh, Pep, you know, Pep has coached Sterling, and look what Wenger did with Walker, and Wenger doesn't do coaching." That's not true. But it's just not the same type of coaching than Pep or Klopp. It's not the same intensity. It's just a different guy. He's a different manager. And okay, he might be past his best for sure, but he still does a bit of coaching. Okay, they're eight points now off the top four. Eight points. Quick shout out to Bournemouth as well because. Yep. Uh, Jordan Ibe was excellent, and he and he's been excellent for three, four games in a row now. And I really enjoyed the performance of um, uh, Ryan Fraser. 
Um, and, and not just because I think he's the cutest player in the Premier League. You know, he is, he is the shortest player in, in the Premier League. Five foot um, three and a half. Is that right? Yeah. And his assist for the Wilson goal was fantastic. So, yeah, bravo, bravo, Ryan Fraser. Yeah, well done. The last season, Fraser destroyed Liverpool. Yeah, he's and, good. Yeah, he's yeah. really good. He's like a little box on legs. He just he, he, he slings down the wings and gets into the middle. He's really good. But, but I remember him coming on and all the Liverpool players just went, what do we do with him? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a fair point. Yeah, what do you do with a player who can run between your legs? Yeah. <laughs> it's a good question, Benji. And I'm surprised we don't see managers opting for that kind of thing more. Uh, Bournemouth, as I say, uh, looking a little bit safer now. Four points clear of the drop. But back to Arsenal, just because this whole Sanchez scenario does look like Jules or Ian, I don't know, with your Mancunian uh, uh, contacts, if you've got any uh, info on, on how that's going to resolve itself, if it will resolve itself in the next day or two. The way this situation is, I, I can't definitively sit here and say he will be a Manchester United player or he will be a Manchester City player. Um, it's moved around several times over the course of the last few days. Of course, the start of the story, which to me still feels like the most important part of the story, is that Alexis and Pep wanted to work together again. Uh, I was at uh, Manchester City's training ground on deadline day in the summer, um, and it was probably a surprise then, actually, that, that he didn't end up at Manchester City, given how advanced the talks were, given the stage of uh, of, of agreement, shall we say, between Sanchez and uh, and Manchester City. However, I, th- I just think United may have, from from what I've I've been told and and speaking to a few people, United just saw an opportunity where they sort of felt like they couldn't really lose in a way. It, it, Sanchez was destined to go to Manchester City, uh, and they sort of thought, well, actually, if we if we come in and 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 express our interest in the player, um, well, we we can make a larger offer, financial offer to Arsenal, or or a more appealing offer, including Mkhitaryan to. To Arsenal, we can also offer Sanchez more money as well. We can offer his agents more money than what than what the proposals were from City. That that actually, if he didn't end up as a Manchester United footballer, at least it would maybe force City into into making a, a payment above what they initially intended to. Whether City will do that or not um, is interesting. I, I just felt like Friday was a was a sort of day where it felt like quite quite a, a significant thing changed that the noises out of city didn't seem to have the same sort of measure of control over the situation that they'd had previous to that where there was a great deal of confidence and control that whether it was january or or next summer or th- this summer sorry that that sanchez would end up at the etihad stadium whereas now there seems to be uh, a level of of uncertainty there was a lot of reports over the weekend that he would be a manchester united player in a matter of hours almost mm. Uh, and it still feels like a transfer could be imminent, but like I said at the start of this uh, rambling soliloquy, know. I can't sit here and definitively <laughs> right. say just, where just he'll end know. up just yet. OK, uh, what we probably can suggest is that Arsenal, as it stands, are going to struggle without him. The last three games that he hasn't played a part in, they have certainly lost. Yeah, yeah, of, yeah. of course. He's a world-class player. They're not the only one they have, but certainly Although the there was that team. story that supposedly the, the rest of the team were all sick of him, so him being out it's, of the team could have kind of lightened up the atmosphere. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not a story. It's the fact that most of that dressing room want him out. Uh-huh. They don't like him. I didn't realise that Wilshire's also out of contract at the end of this year. Is he really? Yeah, yeah, of they, course, they, yeah. You know, by the end of this year, no no Ozil, no Sanchez, no Wilshire. What, what's left? I understand Wilshire though. Do you not understand why he's? I don't understand why Sanchez and Özil are in that situation from Arsenal's perspective. But I do with with Wilshire because I, I don't. Yes, he's 
been great in the last few weeks or he's at least shown glimpses in moments of how good he is. But I, I'm not surprised that Arsenal have allowed this situation to happen. He was on loan at Bournemouth last year and couldn't get in their team consistently. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. That's true. Mm-hmm. Although I, I think he's looking terrific at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, and like I just said, you know, glimpses in recent weeks, you can see the player that's in there. Right. You We've know not what? seen I, that much. I, I wasn't actually paying attention because I just heard breaking news, breaking news that has already broken for you listeners, but it's still pretty exciting for us. Paul Lambert taking over... At Stoke. Whoa. Oh, my God. Whoa, that is scraping the barrel a little bit. The, really? Paul, the Paul Lambert who yeah. got sacked for his last 25 jobs or something, no? Yeah, that yeah, one. Yeah, him but, one, okay. You know. That's a good appointment. No, it's really good for the future, the style of football. Um, yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, you know, Sanchez Kikis Flores. Nah, uh, nah. Young manager, bright with good eye. Nah. Let's go for Paul Lambert, boys. Yes. Do we know the, the contract? Uh, I know. I no. literally only know that. Of course, See, it to does me that... fit in with their with their collection of former Champions League winners. So that the, there's yeah, that. there is that. But it, do we me, owe Mark Hughes an apology when he said, "Who else is going to do it?" <laughs> <laughs> he actually, Giggs said no. But um, what what does Stoke need O'Neill. though? Like, you know, I understand the argument that Julian is making completely in mm. terms of the future development of Stoke City. But what, what does Stoke City need at the moment? In my opinion, they need to go back to basics. They need to stop conceding goals at the level in which they've done it, which has been startling this season. How many goals Stoke have conceded? The great Stoke City, who of course were everyone's favourite fantasy football pick when it came to defenders under Tony Pulis in the mm. past, because they had this this level of stability uh, defensively. There's still a lot of fairly talented defenders there as well so and a very talented goalkeeper I think Jack Butland is the future of English goalkeeping in my opinion from mm. what I've seen and I, I do find it surprising that this record is that so if Paul Lambert can come in back and actually basics. go back to basics yep. and, and make sure that defence is solid again that's a great foundation there you go Stoke fans it was very Thank telling you. that, that um, Gary Rowett turned the job down because he, he would have looked at Stoke and thought right in, in two seasons time who's more likely to be in a better position Derby where he is right now or Stoke, and he very clearly thinks it's Derby. Tweet us at the Totally Football Show and find us on Facebook, also at the Totally Football Show. Benji, 4-1 this weekend away at Huddersfield. Oh, it was amazing. And it, and it turns out, James, that strikers mm-hmm. are fake news. You don't need them, because that was one of the most attacking, uh, most potent attacking performances from a West Ham front two in recent right. years. And it was a, a midfielder and a winger who have been bunged up top. Lanzini was excellent, or maybe uncomfortably excellent with the window open, because when he's on song, there are real whiffs of Coutinho about him, and, mm. and Liverpool have sniffed in that direction before. Uh, and Arnautovic... is the kind uh, of pound shop Ibra. At, well, yeah, and yesterday there was, the, you know, maybe it was a two-pound or five-pound shop right, Ibra yeah. yesterday, because... This is one of the real success stories of the, of the Moyes' tenure so far, that he's, he's, he's looked at, you know, when Arnautovic, Arnautovic is good, he's very good, and he's strong, he's, he's quick, he, he works a lot harder than he's given credit for, yeah. he's technically excellent, he can finish, and Moyes has looked at him and thought, right, that's, that's a centre forward. Mm. So he's, he's put him up top and it's working, and it's not the only uh, significant positional change that he's overseen, because there's been the, the, the metamorphosis of Masuaku. From this kind of dodgy left back into a into a slinky hipped viral meme generating left winger mm. who who has been excellent for us so far. A few few caveats of Mas- Masuaku. F- firstly, there is a 
a bit of sort of, if you'll excuse the pun, left-wing revisionism going on here because it was actually Bilic that first realised that oh, really? Masuaku was a left-winger. But ironically, it's been under Moyes that he's really flourished. And secondly, he's, he's not actually that good. Um, oh, that's not true. But let, let me just explain why I think this has happened. He's got a great song. So the, the Arthur Masuaku song is really good and it's How become it the go? kind of motif of the season. So, uh, but, so it goes... Whoa, Arthur Masuaku, oh, he's better than Lukaku, whoa, he never gives the ball away, but he gives the ball away a lot. And this is the problem. It's, it's, the, it's the Will. It's the Will Grigg problem. In that oh, okay. the song is is maybe better than than the player, but That's it's very fun to watch. Other great players. Other great players. Songs that maybe just better than the actual player that they represent. That's one to think oh, of. Oh, yeah. yeah. Maxi Rodriguez. But, oh, how's that go? What's this? Maxi, Maxi Rodriguez runs down the wing for me. Did it, did it, did it, did it, did it, did it. Especially great at Fulham uh, on a weekday night when uh, he scores a hat trick and Liverpool win 5 2. I'm so, I'm so gutted that the listeners c- couldn't see yeah. your face when yeah. you sang that. <laughs> Sasha, you're a professional singer. That was, <laughs> that was, that was special. Yeah, that was special. I want to talk about David Moyes, though. Okay. Uh, stats reveal that since the first win he picked up in the Premier League, only two sides have picked up more points than West Ham. He's all right, isn't he? And those two sides are Man City and Spurs. And, and let's be frank, probably not you, Benji, but everybody else had a bit of a titter and a snigger when, when West Ham Oh, no, signed. very much me too. I, I think that... Um... I assumed that we'd just go through a similar sort of relationship arc as we did with with Big Sam, where mm. you kind of have you know uninspiring football for a few seasons. You're hard to beat. Then we we decide we want to have a little bit more fun, so we'll get another Billich type and start the whole cycle all over again. But um, the third goal that we scored against Huddersfield was sculpted beautifully by two midfielders who have skillful and have been thrown up top instead of Andy Carroll. Um, and actually, if you take a step back, we, we are probably the most Everton-shaped club that he's managed since Everton. Some of the, By that the, you the, mean? Well, we are probably the same sort of size, have probably got the same sort of ceiling. Yeah, we probably can maybe finish seventh if, if, if we have a really great season at the moment, if we consider the top six to be impenetrable. Mm. And, and he, you know, in, in the years in which he was doing so well at Everton, he, he was the closest anyone was coming to kind of nudging into that, in, in, into that upper echelon. So, yeah, What was fine. the best finish? It was fifth, yeah, no? even did, fourth, yeah, because they went, to, fourth, they went yeah. to the Champions League qualifiers. So, yeah. And there's a few... There's a few um, interesting things that are happening so he's really he's realizing the value of noble this is another one that that myself included every single year we write noble off yeah. we say that was it not you who said that very much so yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs> that you know surely this is the year that that, uh, that the team will leave noble behind right but um this weekend he was up against aaron moy who in a way i think many people would have aaron moy down as a kind of better younger version of mark noble and yet noble bossed him and um there's a quite extraordinary stat here which is that in the last three years west ham have only won one premier league game in which he hasn't played so when he's out we usually don't win the caveat is that we we don't win that many games anyway but but still he he has got an incredibly important role to play and also chicharito Mm. This is this is one of the downsides. This is one of the, the, the sort of sad stories this year because all, all the things we were talking about with Arnautovic, you know, his strength, his bustle, his hard work are not the hallmarks of Javier Hernandez. And I think when Hernandez was great, it was when he was feeding off the scraps of a really good Man United team. I think Hernandez really is a kind of first world player. And West Ham are much more, you know, a kind of meat and veg club. It's hard to transpose and the, the two together. Mm. Hernandez needs to stop 
trying to be a complete centre forward for me. I mean, I've I've seen quite a lot of him down the years, uh, playing for United a little bit when he when he left at Real Madrid for for a while, and, and obviously he did pretty well at Leverkusen for six months or so. But for me, Hernandez needs to stop being a player who gets involved in link-up play, who stops getting involved in in pulling out to wide areas and playing in those sort of positions. He should be almost just play within the width of the two goalposts or at least the penalty area and just get himself involved in those situations because his finishing ability is second almost to none. His finishing ability down the years has been spectacular. Certainly mm. for a, t- a spell at Manchester United, he was you know the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer of, of that Manchester United team really Praise in terms indeed. of coming off the bench and, mm. and seeing opportunities to score and taking those opportunities as well. And it just feels to me like watching him is maybe a little bit lost in in being a complete footballer almost you'd think there's a room in a, a, a meat and veg team for little p hey uh, <laughs> uh, anyway um who's terence congolo julian he's on loan from monaco yes he's a dutch international a young player who mm. was rubbish with monaco in the first six months in the few games he played so they thought they sent him over to huddersfield to sort of man up a bit because he looked a bit light to us for Ligue 1. Right. But if he's light, he's too light for Ligue 1, there's a lot of chances that he might be too light for the Premier League as well. So I guess we'll see. To see yeah. say, Huddersfield's defence was really bad. It, 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 Schindler's a decent enough player, but as a unit, the back four was all over the place. And, and whilst Arnautovic and Lanzini were good, they were slicing through them w- with ease. It, it really made me think, do you know what, hold on. I think if, if we assume that Swansea and probably West Brom, although we'll come on to them shortly, are, are, are gone, or maybe not, Huddersfield, I think... Are, they would, they would neatly that, fit. That when second I, goal with just long ball bounce, bounce yeah. over turn defenders, just terrible. Can I make a point on West Ham before we move on as well? Uh, just before on Stoke, we had that developing news during the oh, show, yeah. and our, all our reactions were probably exactly the same as they were when David Moyes was appointed at West Ham mm. and when Roy Hodgson was appointed at Crystal Palace. Mm. It doesn't always work out, of course, but there's an example of two what were perceived to be underwhelming appointments seemingly working at the moment. So perhaps there's hope for Stoke fans yet. I'm trying to find some positives for them. I think, Ian, you're absolutely right. Hammers are at home to Shrewsbury. Uh, That game's coming up on Tuesday for West Ham. Dulwich Hamlet news, Benji? Uh, The good news is they they still exist. Yes. Um, Even better, they're top of the league by by five points. They're five points clear of Billericay Town, the evil empire. Although I read Billericay... (laughs) Town have six games in hand. Just the six. How's that work out? Oh, they've got they've gone on an FA Trophy run, oh. which um, in the lower leagues causes all kinds yeah, of mayhem. So, Dulwich, how do they fund themselves day to day? Because I was sort of trying to read up on it, and I'm not quite understanding where the money is coming from at the moment. It's well, they they get two and a half thousand people a week often, so it's just gate, gate receipts do support. Also, them. Pickfair, Benji's company, sponsor them. <laughs> That's right, and and the, and the toilets opposite stand. The toilets opposite stand. <laughs> yeah. get, get yourself down there. It's, it's a lovely ground, Dulwich. Played there once. It's so, brilliant, generally. Great broadly day speaking, then that whole land dispute is that still pending? It's rumbling. Or? I think I think that. Southwark and Meadow, the, the the residential company that own the the land, are still deep in negotiations. All but right. as things stand, Dulwich Hamlet are top of the league by five points and doing all right. They lost to Margate on Saturday, which is annoying. Yeah, that is that would that must burn rankle. Yeah. Um, if you're listening, development <laughs> development company, hands off, hey. Yes. Find yourself another right. plot of land. That's right. Plenty out there. Listeners, the January transfer window is open for business and if you think you can identify better value than Liverpool have managed so far this month by selling Philippe Coutinho and buying in Virgil van Dijk, then you need to check out the Football Stock Market Football Index. Football Index is a new way to profit from your football knowledge and make money. Buy players, build a portfolio, earn dividends and sell at a profit. And a tax-free profit at that. 
because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can try Football Index and trade up to £1,000 entirely risk-free. Just head to footballindex.co.uk, enter the promo code TOTALLY, and if you don't love Football Index, you'll get a full refund with their seven-day money-back guarantee. Download the app or play online at footballindex.co.uk and become a football trader today. T's and C's apply, you must be over 18. Deposit required and please trade responsibly. By the way, to everyone who I met down at the wonderful Lakeside International Sports Complex thing, um, a lot of uh, Totally Football Show fans down there, hello to you all and a salute to the two men who gave us the most incredible final when everyone else was watching Liverpool Man City at the weekend, uh, Glenn Durrant and uh, Mark McGuinney. Unbelievable, a match that wrung every last available ounce of drama. Mm. Just extraordinary. The last yes. two best things we've had on TV was the World's Strongest Man and the video darts. Would you say? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and funnily you, enough, you were involved enough. in both. I mean, I don't know how I had the happened. good fortune to yeah, be yeah, involved yeah, was, in both, but only peripherally. It's, yeah, all, about, I know, I know. it's all about the athletes, of course, always. Of course. Um, is... <laughs> can Roy Hodgson do... They had no points when I came here. I've now taken 25 from 19 games. Could that be the new... Eight points when I got here, Harry Redknapp thing. Yeah, it could be. I mean, I, I was... Um, what's the word? I was really... Listener? Shocked. All oh, right, okay. Shock's probably a bit too strong, but I was quite shocked when he was appointed as Crystal Manning. Quite shocked. Yeah. He's lessened the shock factor a little bit. Um, I was quite shocked when he was appointed at Crystal Palace. And this is going to sound really ageist, but because of his age... I just sort of thought the things that he's been through in his football career, the length of time. Look at Jupp Heynckes. Yeah, well, true. And, you know, look at other older managers who have succeeded. I'm exactly. sure Sir Alex Ferguson was, was was old when he <laughs> departed. But Claudio Ranieri? Claudio Ranieri, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I just thought, I just looked at the situation and thought, why why is he doing this to himself again? You know, when you've, when you've been through as much as you have, like Roy Hodgson, and it looked a tricky job as well, Crystal mm. Palace at the time. However, um, one defeat speaking, in twelve now. Yeah, and speaking to Mark Bright not long after he'd gone in there, who oh, yeah. still obviously have eye, has eyes on things on a day-to-day basis, the sort of stories he was telling me about Hodgson's enthusiasm and his energy and all the things that maybe I'd sort of naively or ignorantly thought may not be there as before. The, the, the type of stories he told me about the way he was behaving on the training ground, I was. I thought, wow, he's going to be a success here, and, and so it's proved so far. And this is why it's such a delightful redemption story, because Hodgson is clearly a nice guy. He's had a very successful, fascinating career. He then goes and ruins his reputation with England. You think you're never going to hear from him ever again. He, he emerges at Palace at a, you know, they look doomed at the time, and mm. he has turned it around. I actually really hope that he retires from football at the end of this season and leaves Drops us with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Palace will be at Arsenal next weekend. Do you see them winning that, Julian? Yeah. Really? I love the fact they love the Sackos as well. They have all sorts of Sackos. Ah, that's true. <laughs> How many? Three now. Sacco, Sacco and Sacco. I, I love it. And they're Sorry. all spelled differently. I mean, if you call Sacco and you're listening yeah. to the pod, you've got a chance. Get I'm just going to say, re, re, re Palace as well. Is, there, there probably isn't a more one-man team in the Premier League than Palace with Zaha. And, and while... Uh, Hodgson has been transformative. It was mm. the return of Zaha that, that really started picking oh. up Palace's momentum. Mamadou yeah. Sacco as well. Mam- Mamadou Sacco as a character just within that, that club is, is essential for, for Crystal Palace. I know he's, he's sort of had his issues lately and, and not been in the team 
because of injury, but just the character and personality he is around that club, from what people have said, is is essential really to, to Palace's success and the, the relative success he had last season as well, I think. Mm. Two man, two man team then. Still to come on this Totally Football Show, greatest Asian footballer ever, we debate. Uh, just a quick mention for the fact that on our Facebook page, Julian, you're going, you're doing some transfer talk. I am trying. Sanchez, Griezmann, Malcolm, uh, um, that's all at Facebook. Lemar as well, I think. Lemar? Yeah. Oui. Well, not, not much is happening anyway with Lemar, so... Oh, don't give it away. Sorry, sorry. Hot Lamar News at facebook.com <laughs> Totally Football Show. Jules, I understand you're also going to be joining us in Dublin on March the 19th yes. when we're going to be at Vicar Street. Mm. Boom. Have you been to Dublin before? That's where I proposed. Really? To my wife, yeah. Oh, that's going to be special. It is. Uh, great. Okay, well, you can get tickets to that event, not, you know, the, but the... Mm. Um, you know, I got t- married a long time ago, as well, so you couldn't ago. come anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, tickets are at Ticketmaster.ie right now. We mentioned PSG Nantes, but clearly Ligue 1 has returned from its winter break. Yes. Anything else we should know? Yes, uh, Florian Tovin, who's having an amazing season for Marseille, almost caught from the halfway line he just did, to almost. hit the bar. Yeah. We had Fekir already doing it this year. We had Memphis Depay doing it last year. Yeah, and Memphis it's Depay, our stuff. the it's moves our stuff. that he was showing against yeah. uh, Marseille this weekend, no? It's our stuff to, uh, to, hit, uh, to shoot from the halfway line. Yeah. Um, Jamie's got a question for you. He says, uh, Paris FC are in the playoff places of Ligue 2. Mm. Will Julian switch allegiances if they win promotion? Nah, come on, man. Who was it James? Is it called James? Jamie. You know, you, Jamie, sorry, Jamie. Yep. They... The thing about Paris is that... So this is different to Red Star, or is that the same one? Yeah, no, no, it's different. It's another one. So how many... <laughs> but that's the thing. You've yeah. got loads of clubs in Paris, just one in the top division, which is very different to big footballing cities, yeah. Liverpool, Manchester, Rome, Madrid, etc., etc. And people say it's because PSG is just taking everything mm. and it's they're just too big, which I don't think is true. I think if you had a project um, with good basis and that you could build on with you know good kids for example you could go far and you could have another club in the top flight in Paris well and it might PFC, happen Red Star came close a couple of years exactly. ago and maybe Paris FC yeah that would be good and that obviously good. they've they had they have one of the best youth system in France that is other than a proper academy like you know the, the top flight clubs uh-huh. a lot of kids start there and then end up in um, in big clubs, so they've got loads of youth talent there they could use for the first team if if they're in the top flight because that would mean those kids instead of going to Monaco or PSG or Nantes mm. or Auxerre, they stay and then play in the fir- for the first yeah, team. Yeah, no so. greater reservoir of talent in Europe than no. Paris. And you know what? Actually, to answer Jamie's question. Oh yeah. But by the way, talking about stats earlier, Paris. There's only one city that's produced more players, professional players, than Paris, and that's Sao Paulo. And the rest is Paris and, and, and the suburbs. But actually, PFC, Paris FC, is the closest club, is closer to, to where I grew up and where I live and where my, my parents live. Crucially. Than PSG. Yeah. So I should really be... I played them so many times. I almost joined them when I was 12. When you were coming through the ranks as yeah. a youth player, yeah, you played yeah, Paris yeah. FC a lot, did yeah, you? Yeah, a lot, yeah. Julien. So, yeah. A couple of things kind of PSG-related... Mm-hmm. Well, one is actually all about PSG. Uh, this, I think, was from the Gegen Press. PSG still lack the midfield and goalkeeper to compete with the big boys. Who do they need? And kind of relating to that, Real Madrid. How are PSG fans watching what's going on with your next Champions League opponents? 
So the Real Madrid question, Alan, uh, I would rather them being flying yeah. and firing and be very good. Well, they might be firing quite soon, the way things are going. They're now closer to the relegation zone in the, in the Liga than they are to the top after getting beaten at home this weekend by Villarreal. Villarreal. So there's, there's a lot of questions over yeah. Zidane's future. And a lot of pressure and, and a big crisis as well because mm. they're fourth, they're not... They will have to compete just to finish in the top four. Mm. Um, but, that'd be funny, wouldn't it? Yeah, that'd be funny. But yeah, I fear that they're going to get into this PSG tie being not the favourite and we will be the favourite and we're going to get smashed because they usually you know, raise their game when it's the big games and it's the second half of the season. Ronaldo has only scored four games in the league yeah, and I can guarantee you he will have like a hat-trick or something against us. Interesting. What do you think about this story that was kind of artfully floated in the last few days about a Neymar-Ronaldo swap between Real Madrid and PSG? I don't believe in a swap because it made no sense on PSG's part to get a 33-year-old in February Uh or being Cristiano Ronaldo. What I do believe, though, is that the only club that Neymar sees as big enough for him is Real Madrid now. So we, I believe that somebody will play for Real Madrid. I don't think he will leave this summer. I think he will probably leave the next summer to go to Real Madrid. If, wow. Prepare if still the big heads yeah. in there. Uh, and I think also Kylian Mbappe will play one day for Real Madrid as well. That's yeah. his dream. He's 19. He's got plenty of time and he will end up there. Mm, voila. On the transfer front, Mr Gribbles says, is this the most pivotal January window ever? And will all future January windows become this important for all Premier League clubs? It's quite, quite a strong question, that, isn't it? Um, it does feel like there are some big moves in the offing, but then I suppose... Really? It, no? Andy Carroll to Chelsea? How about that one? Yeah. yeah. That's not, that's not going to define every other January transfer. I know, I just think, apart from Coutinho, but we expected it, and Van Dijk, I think, again, we expected it in many ways. OK. What about Aubameyang? That's that's the question. But Suspended if he goes to China, this weekend by Borussia Dortmund. So China, you think? I think China. I China. Mean, by the way, yeah. Patrick Avenel says I listen on my morning run. So can you shout out some encouragement at thirty minutes? We, I don't know if he's still <laughs> out there, Patrick. But come on, come on, come on, son. There you go. If you're having a run, listeners, get in touch. <laughs> China then for Aubameyang. Um, think- if only there was something we could link on to from Asia. Uh, any interesting? Benji. Oh, well, I've got some, either. Do you want Asian football or do you want Chinese football specifically? You choose, Jimbo. That's <laughs> such responsibility. <laughs> uh, now, this weekend in Germany, uh, Bayern Munich moving 13 points. No, I'm kidding. No, Jay, in fact, so let's harsh. not even have that joke in. You choose. <laughs> there's, there's, there's only one choice, Benji, and that's both. Okay. Chinese quite football. Very quickly. Um, it's becoming another uh, theme of, our, of the transfer window now. And it's quite interesting looking back. They're in between seasons now, the Chinese Super League. Oh, yeah. Um, and obviously, there's, there's a lot of um, you know, exports over there. And I found myself looking at the, the top 20 goal scorers in the Chinese... When was this? <laughs> this is this weekend. Yeah, babe. but like, what, what was it? You, you, I found myself looking at... Does that never happen to you? When, you, when you go down a Wikipedia rabbit hole okay. and suddenly you're, you're looking at Odiyanagalo's scoring stats for Chang Chun? No? Anyone? Not yet, but yeah, okay. is it linked with West Ham by any chance? No, no, no. no. <laughs> this, I thought this was interesting because... So go on. Um, familiar names in the yeah. top 20, starting at the bottom. I'm, so I'm not going to do Chinese all of them. So scoring charts for which season? Last season. The one, so they're, they're currently in between seasons. They run annually. Yeah. Um, and so there's some familiar names. Uh, Freddie Guarin has got 10 goals. Oh. Papi Cisse, 11 goals. Mm-hmm. Um, Alexandra Pato, 15 goals for Tianjin. Nikitsa Yelovich is having a lovely time out there for um, uh, Xing Cheng. 
Odinagalo as well. Hulk has got 17 goals. I think the best um, major export to the Chinese leagues is uh, has been uh, Ezekiel Levetsi with 20 okay. goals for Hebei. And I'm not sure if this is interesting <laughs> or not. I was even more interested to see that the top scorer in the Chinese Super League... Don't tell us. Let's guess. Please do. Top scorer last season, yep. and it's none of the names clearly that you've already yep. said. Yep. I've, I've seen the sheet, so I can't <laughs> okay. guess. I'm going to say... Sasha, do you want to go before I go? It's not Tevis. No, that's for sure. Is it Graziano Pelle? No. Oh, he's not even in the top 20. What? Yeah. I have signed this player on Football Manager in the past. As well. <laughs> you, James, I'll put you out of your misery because okay. you're not going to get it. It's it's a 30-year-old Israeli chap called Eren Zahavi. Zahavi. We who was at, from, yeah, he was yeah. at Palermo for a few seasons, yeah, yeah. I think, as well. And then I thought just the most, the most shocking discovery is that in joint second with 20 goals for Shanghai SIPG was a Chinese person. A midfielder, no less. A guy called Wu Wei, and he's the only Chinese player in the top twenty. I wonder what his song sounds like. Well, who knows? We will give it a go. But it'd be quite fun if a European club made an audacious bid for Wu Wei, offering ad- huge wages. Wouldn't you adapt the Nate Dog classic, Wu E? <laughs> I think you just have, James. Yeah. Um, so that's it. Maybe a Bamiyang will be top of that list this time next will. year. Or Bakombu. Bakombu, who's become the uh, most expensive African player. That's all very well, Jules, but who's the greatest Asian player ever to me, grace the game? It's, it's a very easy answer, Are and it's in, it's in the news as well because he's just signed a new deal being 50, is Kazuo Chimura. I mean, okay. the guy was born in 1967, which is not too far from where you were born, James, and he's still playing football. Mm. Yokohama. I mean, I just think he's I amazing. And maybe, ago. really, yeah. Well, yeah, obviously in Italy, he, was, yeah, he yeah. had a good career in Italy, and I just think maybe he hasn't won as many as other Asian players but I just think out that in China they're still playing the kazoo <laughs> <laughs> yeah my shot will go to Miura okay is that okay is that, yeah, yeah, yeah I don't know answer. you look a bit underwhelmed with my answer. answer no not at all okay. I was just I was lost in a reverie of, of, of myself on a on so a, what, how was your interview with him then uh, back stilted in... he didn't really speak any of the languages that I offered <laughs> Uh, a Venn diagram of languages didn't really intersect overly That's much. That's a shame. I'm sure he yeah. had a lot of things but to tell But we had one language in common, and that was football. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, I can tell you the Asian player that I was the most disappointed with uh, when I saw him up Not close. strictly the question, yeah, Ian, No, no, it's, I, it's, I find it's it difficult enough. to say the, mo- the best Asian player because I don't think my knowledge is good enough. I'd end up saying Park Ji-sung because he's the first one that comes to mind for me, okay. but, or Nakata because he, he comes to mind. But I was really disappointed with Kagawa at Old Trafford. Oh, yeah? I, I just thought w- when he came in, um, Sir Alex Ferguson was so enthusiastic about him, so... Uh, so positive about the role that he would play in the future. Maybe it was just because of the situation at the club and, of course, the changing of the guard and all the things that happened during his time there. But I remember him scoring a hat-trick against Norwich and there was a, I think it was his second goal, Mm. and he just measured this finish. It wasn't even a finish, really. It wasn't even a pass or anything. It was more of just a touch. It was... It was spectacular, and you saw the sort of saw the ability that he had just in that one moment. And I, I was just really disappointed that he wasn't able to produce that on a more regular basis. That is a shame, Sasha. Well, as we're going off piste, I'm going to name my favourite. Go on, and then. Okazaki. Oh, lovely. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, great shot. Just yeah. the way he plays for Leicester, he is so tenacious, mm. and yep. he tackles everything. And he's just a great pro to have on your side. That's so true. But Benji, I think you're making a case, are you not, for Hyungmin Sun? I can't think of a player who, who on you know, on his current form, I think I think he's the best Asian footballer ever. Um, I all, all the players mentioned definitely deserve some you know, deserve to be part of the argument. Um, 
Park Ji Sung is the most decorated Asian footballer in the West with four uh, league titles, uh, a Champions League, a couple of area divisions as well. Oh. Um, Nakata was fantastic mm. for a few years, won Serie A with Roma. Yeah. Um, Nika- uh, Kagawa, you mentioned a couple of Bundesligas, and he won the league with United. And uh, we've got to mention, got to mention Cha Bum Kun who was one of the driving forces behind excellent Eintracht Frankfurt and Leverkusen teams in the 80s and won two uh, UEFA Cups. Uh-huh. But on form, I-, I think Son is the best Asian footballer I've ever seen. Do we include Australians here? Because Harry Kuehl was sensational for a few years, but that was before I Australia mean, were Asian. I think Tim Cahill. Yeah, but I think that you know already it's an almost impracticably large catchment area. So if we start throwing in Oceania... Fair play. Are we uh, Siberia? Let's oh, go on. Then why? Not... Why, Sasha? Well, I think so... we've lost Julian. <laughs> was there some... It's uh, okay. it's uh, east. Well, it's east of the Urals. No. Okay. Was there a player that you wanted to mention, or uh, you're just I... being? There is a player I could mention in the context of this weekend. Uh, it's either that, or we talk about Spurs Everton. Your Spurs call, Spurs. Sasha. Spurs talk Everton. Spurs. All right. Which <laughs> featured a goal from the fantastic Hyungmin Sun, and also a pretty special goal from Ericsson after a move in which all the Spurs players, including goalkeeper Loris, touched the ball without conceding possession. That is Tottenham Hotspur. And, of course, it featured another two goals from Harry Kane, who broke another record. Which one's this? Most Premier League goals by a Spurs player, 98, overtaking Teddy Sheringham and taking just over half as many games as... As, as Teddy did, uh, as Spurs absolutely took Everton apart. Spurs were great. And now let's talk about how bad Everton were. Seriously, yeah. yeah. They, they, it, we were talking about this feast of football that uh-huh. Liverpool and City delivered us. Uh, m- meanwhile, uh, across Liverpool, Big Sam literally said that we're going to need to be more boring yeah. now. Yep. And, and I'm sorry, that's just not good enough. He's got this supreme confidence in his methods. But he's, he's definitely not reading the room because... Everton have had the second fewest shots in the league and they've got a lot of attacking weapons at their disposal and I'm not sure becoming more boring is going to solve that problem. Well, that's why he's paid the big money and you're not, Benju, because those, those stats... Everton fans very quickly. Yeah, uh, if not already. Th- th- just to update those stats, which Daniel Story was mentioning last week, he's updated them now. Pre-Sam Allardyce, they had failed to have a shot on target in only three of their 222 league games. They've now failed to have a shot on target of three of their last five... Duncan Alexander says their most recent shot on target in Premier League was in 2017. Mm. And also off the pitch, it's not looking very pretty either. Wasn't the thing with Big Sam was that he's defensively sound and will sort you out at the back? And they just collapsed. Yeah. On the weekend. All right. That's the thing. It's okay if you if you want to be more boring as long as you're still picking up points and winning football matches. And, you know, when, when he first came in, things went went right very quickly. Even his presence in the in the director's box seemed to inspire a Wayne Rooney hat-trick and a, an Everton home victory. But if you are being this way, you know, it, it, you have to win games because there's nothing else then to fall back on. You know, and it, it's sort of the same with Jose Mourinho at Manchester United as well. I don't think it's quite as extreme as what you've been talking about with Sam Allardyce, but the, the question over the style, I think the style's fine as long as you're winning football matches and picking up points and in United's case, being top of the table or picking up trophies, whatever it may be. But... If then you go through a patch where things are not quite going your way in those regards, it's uh, there's not as much to fall back on as if you're playing sparkling, attacking, entertaining football all the time. This is the Allardyce playbook. This is what he does. He did exactly the same thing at West Ham. He came along and told us all that we can stick our West Ham way up our what's-its and mm-hmm. actually what matters is getting results. But I think actually if you're a team like West Ham or Everton, you need 
those creative players. You need that exciting football because you're not gonna you're not gonna finish in the top five or six. So so really, he's got to deliver something fun. Listeners, do you like shaving and looking smooth and clean? Yes! But do you enjoy having to go to the shops for new razors and other shaving supplies? No! Well, Cornerstone gives you everything you need for a great shave and they'll deliver it all right to your door. Cornerstone's super sharp, award-winning blades are engineered in Germany, which is always a good sign, and their range of balms, creams and exfoliators are all environmentally friendly, alcohol-free and suitable for the most sensitive skin. Get £10 off your first order and check out the range for yourself at cornerstone.co.uk slash totally and find out why tens of thousands of men have switched over to Cornerstone. You haven't mentioned Chelsea against Leicester, which you went to, Sasha. Yeah. It was um, 0-0, but a very exciting 0-0. I wouldn't say it exciting. I thought it was very, very interesting. OK. Um, certainly uh, Leicester and the Claude Puel are looking very interest- uh, very neat, I would say. Right. And I think uh, sort of when you watch them play, I think they're technically... Uh, better and easier on the eye than the team that won the league. Um, I think they just have sort of better technical players. They play better football. Um, and again, questions need to be asked. What on earth did Southampton do, um, or what did he do at Southampton for them to get rid of him? Because uh, they were better than Chelsea uh, mm. comfortably in the first half. I thought uh, second half, of course, the sending off slightly sort of messed up the, the game plan. But um, I mean, from Chelsea's point of view, uh, they looked very pedestrian, very short of ideas. Of course, third consecutive nil-nil draw, um, which is the first time in their in their history that that's happened. Yeah, but it, but you you look Are at they it, tired. Do you think after the? I mean, that the that intense. was the argument that Conte was using after the game. But I th- I don't think it's the first time we've seen Chelsea being sort of that unimpressive. I mean, I think if you look at Chelsea last season, they were very good at swarming forward. If you like, there's no swarming going on at the moment, and those three central midfielders were comfortably beaten by Matty James and um, and Didi. Uh, they just basically held them at bay. And really, Chelsea didn't have many clear-cut chances. I mean, the best one came with that free kick, which was an outstanding save from Kasper Schmeichel because of a very awkward bounce. But if Leicester had lost that game, it would have been absolute outrage. Um, so they deserved at least a point. Uh, there was also interesting moments when John Joe Shelby came off the pitch course and batted away poor old Rafa Benitez's hand. Lots of problems at Newcastle. The Newcastle-Swansea game I've leapt ahead to. Uh, no sale, no signings, no, no goals in eight for Dwight Gale. But well done, Swansea getting a point there. West Brom, second straight win for Alan Pardew's side after their victory in the Cup. This time, uh, 2-0 over Brighton. Some controversy there. We'll wait to see what develops on this story, but one or two allegations there about abuse uh, and possibly West Brom losing Johnny Evans. Is he going to go to Arsenal, Julian? I think he would go to Man City. Man more City? Than Arsenal, yeah. Really? I agree. Mm, okay. Yeah. From what I've heard as well, that, yeah, that yeah, seems like a, a choice for, for Guardiola, yeah. Uh, and here, here's the thing, Watford Saints 2-2 with kind of handballs all over the place. Uh, James Steen saying after Watford's equaliser, are we going to flick now between not wanting VAR and wanting VAR hmm. for the rest of our football sporting lives? It's true. Watching that, my immediate thought was, where does that put my contention last week that football as a sport, rather than an empirical kind of science, facts-based kind of industry, should go without? Like the the spontaneity of it is more important than the absoluteness of, of of knowing that the correct decision was made. But then, yeah, if you see things like this, where does, where does that leave us? Yeah, I tend to agree with you in, oh. in your initial in your initial thought. But then again, you see decisions like that, and then you think, well, yeah, perhaps the officials do need the help to to be able to get those 
decisions correct 100% or as close to 100% at the time. Um, I think there's a reason why it's being trialled. I think there's a reason why uh, English football has looked at the examples of other leagues and, and how it's how it's been developing there before rushing into making a decision on this. Um, but it, it does feel now like, because it is being trialled, that the, the movement will go this way. But it isn't absolute, is it, You know, in terms of, of getting everything correct? There's still debate in there about what correct is, uh, interpretations and so on. But I, I like that question. I, I do think that's exactly the way football is going to be now for the next few years when VAR helps and doesn't help and whatever else. Once you know. it's in, though, I can't imagine it ever... What, going out? Yeah. Well, I mean, people in the room may know better than me, but in terms of the way it's been implemented across Europe, it's not been universally embraced, no. has it? You know, so. I really like James Horncastle's description of it as, as almost tantric. And I, and, I, and I think it's worth maybe extending... What would he know about that? Well, well, it's worth extending the metaphor a little bit. You know, that, that gap in between what you think is a goal and is, actually is a goal, maybe that's where the real excitement and the build-up lies. And as we know, sometimes those moments end in disappointment. Uh, uh, that would have been a, disappoint, uh, a disallowed goal at Watford. Sometimes it's an explosion of joy. And, and so I, I, I welcome it personally. Martin Tyler made an interesting point. He said that uh, in an interview, I think it was last week, the uh, sort of famous Aguero piece of commentary that oh, yeah. he made, that he may he may be reluctant to make that same commentary if, if VAR was in because there'd still be that indecision in his mind about whether it could be ruled out or, you know, and there's no sort of, over, at the moment with the trials, there's no overt way of telling uh, commentators or the crowd or whoever it may be that there's a decision yet to be made and a, a goal yet to be sort of finalised, if you like. But I think certainly, you know, Speaking to to people around it, I think people see it as a, a positive move forward. They see it as as help for the the officials that that's needed because of the fact that we all benefit from it. But it's definitely a balancing act. Very nicely put. Very measured response, Ian. League news. Haven't got time for it, frankly. But luckily, we have got a show that does. It's the Totally Football League podcast, which will be with you on Tuesday. Uh, discussing all sorts of things like Cardiff ending their run of four straight defeats with a 4-0 win over Sunderland, yet more problems for poor old Chris Coleman there. And uh, Josh Luque's uh, first game in charge. I'm frowning as I say that. That can't be right. Yeah. Yeah. Of Sheffield Wednesday, the no-no draws Sheffield United. And Anyway, things like that. Pow. Of course, we've also got our Italian show starting on, on Wednesday, apparently, so... Hmm, that'd be mm, interesting. That'd be uh, and uh, a little bit of French news, Jules. Yes, just to add to the Tony Chaperon chat that we had at the oui. beginning of the show, he's been suspended until further notice by the French League. So we've got a round of fixture in midweek with a, a big Monaconis, for example, but Tony Chaperon will be at home watching on television. Right, OK. But he's kicking himself. <laughs> OK, uh, now, speaking of late news, this morning also saw uh, the news that Cyril Regis sadly had passed away, and uh, which was... A lot of people saying what a trailblazer he was, particularly for black athlete, uh, black footballers mm. in this country, blazing a trail that is by no means paved and kind of now easy going, as unfortunately we've, we we keep seeing. Ian, you met him. Yeah, I met him right at the start of my my career in journalism. Actually, he was one of um, he was one of the sort of first former players that I had the the privilege of interviewing. Um, and it's a long time ago now. It's probably, what, nearly a decade ago. He was doing some work for anti-racism, um, uh, the anti-racism campaign. I think it was kick for Kick It Out. Um, and, I, and I just remember sort of coming away from the conversation with him and listening to, to him speaking to the the sort of gathered... Uh, I think it was, some, it was like a conference sort of thing um, and being really touched by um, his story and sort of being quite inspired by his words in terms of 
remembering, um, for want of a better phrase, the suffering that these black footballers went through um, earlier on in uh, in their careers and, and the, the type of abuse that they received and sort of having that point of never forgetting quite how bad it was to try and ensure that it's never that bad ever again. Yeah. Um, and I just hope with the passing of figures like him, you've you've probably read all the, the tributes and, and heard all the lovely things that people have said about him as a talented footballer, as a, as a man as well, as a, a thoroughly nice uh, bloke too. But just in terms of the iconic nature of, of him as a trailblazer, like you said before, that people do not forget what, with that, with the passing of, of of these type of of figures, that people do not forget what they went through to yeah, ensure absolutely. that no one and, does again. And as I was kind of mentioning, the, the the fact that a lot of this stuff still goes on, and it's quite easy to assume if you're not in any way affected directly by it, that those are all things in the past. But so many stories coming out in the last week or two, whether it's abroad, people talking about Russia, but in English football as well, problems still seems to be going on. It's extraordinary in this day and age. But but there you go. Anyway, having discussed all of that, slight change of pace as we get the odds now from Paddy Power with Ian McIntosh. Thanks, James. It's time for Paddy's Movers and Shakers. And with me, as always, Mr Paddy Power. Uh, Not a bad weekend of football, that Liverpool City game. Is this the sign of something to come? Can they finish second? Of course they can. Yeah, yeah, they, they absolutely can. I mean, they're, they're not even favourites to finish second, though, mind you. United are still favourites. United are 6-4 favourites, and Liverpool are 15-8 to eight to finish second. And even Chelsea, do you remember them? Remember they used to be good at football, or 12-5. But, uh, but yeah, it was some game, and I guess it puts your, not that you had lost your faith in the league, but for once, that fixture in advance, you were saying, there has to be goals. It has to be an exciting game, the two teams that were playing. And it actually turned out that way, because often they, they're the ones that turn out to be dead, damn squibs, but probably a testament to the strength of character. Character, the Liverpool team, the fact when Coutinho goes, maybe he was a negative influence in the dressing room because he was so grumpy. And now that he's gone, that suddenly they, uh, they're they a little bit released or something. It was a great game to watch. Jesus, brilliant. Well, I'll tell you who else looks grumpy, and that's Antonio Conte. Um, what are the odds on him to go before the end of the season? Because he looks thoroughly miserable. Yeah, it's weird because he was like the coolest man in the, in the class, wasn't he? Like for a while, he was just like, wow, everybody wants to be like him. He looks cool. He looks suave and sophisticated and all that kind of stuff. And then suddenly it's all gone pear-shaped for him. But he's 14 to 1 to be the next manager to go. you got to think that there is a chance that he will because Chelsea aren't great at holding on to managers either. But uh, but there's others that might go before him. Like Pellegrini is um, is a favourite. He's odds on 8-13. And Marco Silva is 130. So the two of them look the most likely to be the next ones to go. But Conti could easily go by the end of the season but he's 14 to 1 to be next I tell you it's not going to be Roy Hodgson who's next to go is he um, beat Burnley 1-0 one defeat and 12 25 points from 19 games is he manager of the year material maybe England manager Okay. <laughs> what could but, uh, possibly go wrong? You know what? The manager of the year betting is interesting because Hodgson's not even in it. I know he should be because he's probably he's he's, he's quietly sneaking his way into contention. But we have uh, like Guardiola is almost on. Well, he is on back, but he's one to eighteen. So like he'd only win a quid if he put eighteen on. So he's not not really worth having a bet on. But you'd be getting odds of around hundred to one on uh, on Roy, probably eighty to one or hundred to one or there thereabouts. So it might be worth a sneaky fiver just in case. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com, 18 plus only, begambleaware.org, and when the fun stops, stops. Speaking of stopping, Patrick Avanov is still out there. Do go home. Yeah, you've run enough, man. <laughs> yeah, that's you've enough, enough, really. Take some water, yeah. Absolutely. Give it a rest. Uh, we will as well, actually. Many thanks 
for saluting this extraordinary weekend of action with us, Julian Laurent. Thank you for Sasha having me. Sasha Gurionov. Thank you for having me on. Ian Irving. Thank you. And Benji Laniado. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Especially for broadening out what was otherwise quite a by-the-numbers rote description of footballing events with some really interesting topics. You're welcome. <laughs> We'll be back with another edition of the Totally Football Show on Thursday. Loads of other stuff for you to enjoy, should you so desire. In the meantime, for now, though, it's goodbye. Hello, me again, reminding you to listen to the Totally Football League show on Tuesday. It's going to be a good one. We've got Caroline Barker in the studio. We'll be looking back at Ita Karanka's first game in charge of Nottingham Forest and casting our eyes over Grimsby and Berry, both of whom are tits deep in the brown stuff. Give it a listen. You'll find it wherever you found this show. It's the Totally Football League show, and we record every Tuesday. The Totally Football show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddyneesmedia.com.